You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 303rd edition of Assembly Call Radio and our 960th episode overall of the Assembly Call. We're gaining on your Crimson Cast, recorded on the evening of August 10th, 2023. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. Oh, Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's banner moment occurred on Tuesday when ESPN draft analyst Jonathan Gavoni tweeted two videos of Kalel Ware participating in drills at the Nike Skills Academy, which is taking place right in the heart of Big Ten country in Portland, Oregon. Now, with the caveat that these are just off-season videos of a dude going through drills against no defense, the videos provide more unassailable evidence of the extremely rare combination of height, length, and athletic fluidity that Kalel will bring to Bloomington this season. Simply put, we've never seen a combination of athleticism and skill quite like this in an Indiana uniform. In one video, which features four clips that begin with Ware getting the ball outside of the three-point line, and again, there are no defenders, but he proceeds to take one dribble and dunk, then dribble into a handoff and roll for a lob, then take one dribble and drain a pull-up jumper, and finally pop, get a pass, and drain a three. Now, normally, I would dismiss these kinds of videos as meaningless off-season nonsense. Who can forget the infamous video of Evan Fitzner draining countless threes in a row? And how did that work out? Not all that well. But this is a little different. This is a rare athlete showing off an array of comfortable, confident offensive skills and movements that will add completely new dimensions to Indiana's offense. One word that comes to mind when watching it is effortless. And you don't often see a seven-footer displaying that range of skills in such an effortless manner. Of course, effortless can be a dangerous word in a different context. Motor and motivation are the biggest knocks on Ware as he tries to put his tumultuous freshman season at Oregon behind him. And his ability to rev up to a higher level more consistently is what will determine how close he gets to reaching his ceiling in Bloomington. But during this slow portion of the offseason, it sure was fun to be reminded of the five-star McDonald's All-American potential lottery pick who Mike Woodson found to step into the void left by Trace Jackson Davis. Now, Kalel clearly won't be able to replace everything Trace did in one of the most spectacular individual seasons in IU history. But the mere presence of this versatile threat on the court has a great chance to help guys like X, Malik, Mack, and others be the best players they can be. And if all goes according to plan, this will be Kalel's only season in an IU uniform. Watching even short little off-season clips like these was a great reminder to appreciate him while we have him. Supreme athletes with actual skills like this don't come along very often. All right, now let me introduce my co-host this week. Andy is off, but here with me. He's a longtime high school basketball coach in the state of Indiana, one of the world's most renowned bracketologists, and a man who knows how to celebrate a win over your rival. Shafino! That's right. It's the coach. He remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to 
up your collar Play hard, but remember Fake hustle is a crime He's the coach and it's Tonsoni time Coach, it's Tonsoni time What's on your mind? You know, I, I was wondering what to talk about because this is just a slow portion of the of the year with with basketball. But but yet it's not. I'm reminded there are matchups coming out for some of the tournaments that are the preseason tournaments. There's a lot of publicity about uh, the trip to New York. Uh, we got some uh, word on the the game against Auburn. All of that is enough to give us a little bit of uh, a taste of the season to come. And so, uh, so that, that gets me excited. The conference realignment stuff still blows my mind um, about how to handle it. But I'm trying to get to the point, guys, where no matter who plays in Assembly Hall or wherever the Cream and Crimson go to play, it's a college basketball game with Indiana University playing in it. I'm going to get used to that. I may not care about conference standings anymore uh, because of the uneven schedules and that. I don't think they carry the weight that it did 10, 15, 20 years ago. But Indiana basketball is Indiana basketball no matter who you play and where you play it, and that's not going to change. I'm trying to get there with that. So that's what I've been doing here the past week uh, around Indiana basketball. Very nice, Coach. All right, and also here with us, he is a senior writer for the Big Lead, one of the world's most notorious ranters, and a man whose Big Ten allegiances will now be severely tested with USC joining the conference. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. Okay, see, you're shaking your head, but when USC plays Indiana in football, who are you cheering for? I'm rooting for USC. Okay, see, right. until Indiana gets serious about its football program, I'm sorry. You're conflicted I, I can't now. Go there. But basketball, I root for Indiana. That's the, I'm, it's what I'm more connected to. It's it's the team I'm more connected to gets yes. the the level there. So, yes. um, what's on your mind? I, well, I will say we had a long discussion about um, a kind of doom and gloom discussion about realignment last week, and a lot of people reached out and said, "Man, you ruined my night." And <laughs> It's what I do around here, guys. It's you not know the show. You're just giving him Uh, fuel, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but no, I you know something happened this week that was kind of like oh, some sanity crept into the mix, and that was the ACC decided. You know, uh, uh, for the last week, we've heard that Stanford and Cal were going to the ACC and probably SMU as well, and some sanity finally crept in to the mix, and they said, "No, we're not doing that." And the ACC has has stepped aside essentially and pushed Stanford and Cal away. And maybe it's because it's the Atlantic Coast Conference and Stanford and Cal are not on the Atlantic Coast. Like I mean, I don't. Or maybe they don't want to split their already paltry TV revenue. I I mean, it's what well, it's just insane that 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 was even a consideration. Now look with the with the Big Ten's new footprint, Stanford and Cal makes sense for the Big Ten now that. You know this uh, the 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 Big Ten's all the way on the West Coast now. That seems to be the best fit, and and you'd also get the Bay open the Bay Area market, get some Silicon Valley money into the conference and things like that. So that that seems to make the most sense if they're going to end up anywhere. Uh, plus, they're just two schools that are absolutely phenomenal in the non revenue sports. So you could raise your profile there, um, but. Yeah, it's just it, it. The fact that that was even a consideration, it just shows you how insane this entire process is. I mean, the Big Twelve is essentially a national conference now. It, it has teams all across the country, none of which makes sense, and they're not grouped in any, 
way. I like, I just, we all know where this ends. And that's if people who you talk to people who are involved in college athletics, they know where this ends. This ends at two conferences, maybe two and a half. If you having all of the power and eventually a consolidation of the top schools together. And that's where this is going to end. It may not be, it's not going to be tomorrow. It's not, it might not be five years from now, but eventually that's what's going to happen. And when these conferences are given as much power they are by the TV networks and are given as much money as they are, you're going to have things in college sports that you really love start to go away. And, and one of those things that I'm very concerned about that relates to this show is the NCAA tournament will change in ways that we will not enjoy the change because those people in power don't really care what you want to watch. Like they don't care that you don't want to watch a playoff with six SEC teams. They really don't because that's just what it's going to be. And that's how it's going to happen. So um, eventually the NCAA tournament is probably going to be one of the casualties of this, of this change. And I don't like that. And I don't want that to happen. So when you hear me out here railing against realignment, that's the end game is for them to have only major conference teams in the NCAA tournament. And that would just ruin it. Good news for Purdue. Purdue. So it is good news for Purdue. Um, so yeah, I, now that Jalen Huchifino's graduated, it's great news for Purdue. Um, or <laughs> moved on. I'm sorry. Uh, so yeah, that, that's why I rail against realignment. I think it's stupid. I don't think it makes sense. I mean, we are in the world with it, but at the same time, like the eventuality is really ugly for college sports. Yeah. Yeah, and look, if you haven't listened to the recent episodes uh, from our friends at Crimson Cast, Galen went in-depth on this in a couple of different episodes, so highly recommend uh, that you go check those out. Our friends at the Back Home Network, which, by the way, I got to check what number they're at. They had a big head start on us, but we were gaining on them. I think they're at like 970. We're at 960 overall. It's a race to 1,000. We'll see what happens. Come, they're gonna, They'll go ahead during football season because they'll put out more, but then we'll creep back in during basketball season. We're going we're gonna to even them up here soon. So keep your eye on that. Um, all right. Here is what we have in store this week. We're going to talk through a few Hoosier headlines. There wasn't a lot that happened this week, but there's a few things to talk through. And then in segment two, we're going to play a little buy or sell with some of the national narratives that are out there about Indiana basketball. Uh, a couple of different videos with some national college basketball voices uh, kind of made the rounds this week. And so we're going to talk through that, what we agree with, what we disagree with. And then we got a few good questions for the mailbag. So we will hit that as well. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. But first, let's talk about our presenting sponsor. That's right. This edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you'll find anywhere, and the largest collection of vintage college sports apparel that you will find anywhere in this time of upheaval and uncertainty in college sports, where everything feels like it's fragmenting. Home Field Apparel is the one source that pulls us all together as college sports fans with incredible fabrics, incredible logos. Heck, Coach buys stuff for teams that he doesn't even like just because the logos look cool. He's got a closet full of stuff, and they're constantly releasing new schools. You know, this week, I think it was at Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, all got new collections. They're constantly refreshing, adding new stuff, adding new schools. They're even adding new newsletters. They've got the 16-part newsletter uh, coming out that's going to tell some untold stories from college sports, and that's what makes Home Field Apparel great is they're not just there to try and make money off of college sports. They're really there to honor the traditions, do it in a respectful way. And I think that's why they've built 
you know, not just a brand, but kind of a community around what they do, people who love them. Uh, we certainly do. We highly recommend that you go check them out. Comfortable, you know, fabrics. They you know, can last through a lot of washings. The colors stay. It's high quality stuff. And you can get a discount. If you go to homefieldapparel.com, you can use our promo code HOME23 to get 15% off your first order. And if you've already used that promo code, if you've done your first order, you can get other discounts by following them on Twitter, subscribing to text updates, subscribing to email updates. They're always finding ways to give you money off if you're kind of paying attention. So Home 23 for 15% off if you've never ordered. Again, the website, homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. All right, guys, let's roll through a few Hoosier headlines. Uh, everybody saw the picture of Malik Renew. Um, you know, flexing and looking good. They had they had the good lighting on him in the new picture, and even with that, you could kind of tell that he had you know built up some extra mass in his one year uh, working with Cliff Marshall. His body fat's down three point five percent. His verticals up four four point five inches. What I found most interesting about this, Ryan, is you know obviously that was a cool graphic for Malik Renew to put out, and it's you know it's just cool off season fodder. My guess is there was a particular audience for that that they wanted to get out, and that is Malik's former teammate at Montverde, who is an incredibly skilled big man who's really only held back by a physique that still has some baby fat on it to kind of get across the point, hey, this is what can happen to you if you come work with Cliff Marshall. So I have a feeling that was part of the plan for that one. That feeling is correct, I believe. Uh, I think that is why the timing of yes. that came out now instead of September or a month ago or whatever. Um, but I'll also say that I think Malik, we talked about it last year. One of the things that was missing for him was having that you know, athletic body. To the, that next level body and probably what kept him from, you know, even entering school as a, as a highly touted recruit, nobody thought he was going to be a wanted done because he just needed to mature physically. And yeah. uh, we talk about a lot of times guys unlocking athleticism in a college strength program and adding four inches to your vertical. That's unlocking athleticism. We saw it with a guy like Thomas Bryant. They got his body right. They got him running a little bit differently, stretching more flexible. Yep. Boom more athletic, ran the floor better, uh, had a better vertical, all of those things. That's possible. And people, you know, seem to think you're either athletic or you're not. No, you're only as athletic as your body lets you lets you be. And if your body isn't in peak physical shape, you can't be as athletic as possible. Now, I mean, there are certain limits. You know, to, uh, uh, Malik Renu is never going to be Victor Oladipo, but you can find an extra gear of athleticism with the right with the right workouts. Yeah. Well said. Uh, congratulations are in order to Miller Kopp, who signed with a team in the French League, and so he will be beginning his professional career over there. And talked to Miller this week, and uh, he said, he's like, hey, man, I'm going to keep tabs on the team. I'm ready to come on the show You know, once I get settled and everything. So be on the lookout for some appearances from Miller uh, on the show. Probably, not, probably not this offseason, but during the season. Yeah, um, I was going to say that the timing is going to be a little odd. We're going to have to may. stay up r- real late one night to interview Miller. <laughs> it may, but we'll see. He sounded excited about it, uh, you know, to stay connected with the program, but really excited for him. I know it was a little bit up in the air what he was going to do, uh, but to see him get that opportunity. Look, man, when you can shoot like Miller Cop, you're going to get an opportunity to play professionally and you have that level of size. And I think, you know, we saw his game really improve last year. Obviously we were calling all season long for him to get more opportunities. Um, perhaps he'll get that uh, with his new team coach. I don't know if that's you the saw. first question I'm going to, that's going to, that's the first question I'm going to ask him when uh, he comes on the show is what's it going to be like not having Ryan Phillips call for your new team to use you more. <laughs> yeah. Is that going to affect you in a positive way or a negative way? <laughs> um, 
Coach, I don't know if you saw, but Joe Lenardi uh, just, you know, indefatigably uh, continues. I think I pronounced that word wrong. Uh, just continues. Yeah, thank you. No, uh, he I, just, I just continues to, to put out his offseason bracketology, and he has Indiana at number 10. I, I feel like Indiana no, has not, dropped. Not, let's be real. Not number 10. Sorry, the, the 10, 10 seed. A 10 yes, seed. a number 10 yeah. seed. Sorry. Big difference there. Yeah, and offseason bracketology is what it is, you know, but that kind of has Indiana as what, you know, a top 40 team, somewhere between 36 and 40. Uh, feels a little low to me based on where I would have Indiana. Do you have any thoughts on offseason bracketology? I I love doing bracketology. There's absolutely nothing to base uh <laughs> bracketology on at this point like what people it's not it's not what we do it's not what the national people do is look at the roster and and make a guess about who's going to win it's data based it is results based the committee looks at who you beat where you played them and all those things well none of that's taking place so it is just it is just uh it's just, it is it's really like, kind of it's just a, another preseason ranking system, basically. Yeah, you know? it's another preseason ranking system. There's some accuracy to it. I, I do think, and, and we had this discussion a few weeks ago, that I do think Indiana's a tournament team. I think that's uh, kudos, and we get into this in, in Section 2, that Coach Woodson has kept Indiana in the discussion for tournament, even in what would have been a rebuilding year when you lose the people you lose. Um, so, I yeah, I would say 7 to 10 with the unknown aspect of that, with the potentially to be a much higher seed if the things work out the way we want them to work out. But the fact that Indiana is a – take away the 10th seed. The fact that people are looking at Indiana as They're a in tournament field. team when you've lost one of the all-time greats in Trace Jackson Davis and an incredible freshman um, – and yes, you brought some talent in. That's why they're in the tournament instead of you know first team out or fourth team out. Usually, when you lose that much, you got to fight to get in the tournament and hope for that freshman turnout and even your talented players. Unless you're one of those elite, and we'll talk about that again coming up. If you're a Kansas and a Duke, it's automatically thought you're just going to re- refresh your roster. Indiana's not there yet, but they've stayed relevant. So I look at that as you know it could have been anywhere from seven to ten based on what you believe. And that it's a positive overall that people are talking about Indiana being a team in the tournament, even in a somewhat quasi rebuilding situation. Yeah, I think the interesting thing here is that you have to keep in mind is the national media is not following Indiana the way we follow Indiana. So they see that you lost a first round draft pick in Jalen Hochefino. You lost one of your all time great players in Trace Jackson Davis. The only like, you know, uh, you lost Miller Cop. Your one three, your one really consistent three point threat, uh, and then all you've got back is Xavier Johnson, Trey Galloway. You know, you've got a handful of guys back, uh, and some young guys who showed some promise, but you didn't see them play very much. And they bring in, well, you got a highly touted freshman, so that'll be good. Uh, the other big offseason acquisition, Kalel Ware kind of stunk at Oregon, didn't get on the floor very much and, you know, didn't look like he had a great motor. So from the outside looking in, if you don't not following this program day to day, it's easy to downgrade Indiana because they lost so much. And what you're replacing with, you're not super impressed with unless you're following the team closely. So when you see Indiana pick to finish eighth in the Big Ten or not or whatever in the ne- in the coming weeks, understand that that's solely based on addition subtraction and have you even heard of the guys they added kind of thing so 
I would say that that you know take all of this with a grain of salt. Now with a team like right. Purdue, they're going to be predicted to win the Big Ten because of who they have coming back is recognizable to all the people picking things. They recognize those guys and say, well, they're going to be a year better and a year closer to you know playing each other and everything. You look at Michigan State, the guys they brought in and the guys they have returning. Well, we recognize those guys. We know what they can do. Plus, they added this talent. So it's yeah. easy to project those teams. I mean, you still have no idea how they're going to play when you actually hit the floor, but it's easy to make projections there. When you're cleaning the slate the way Indiana did, it's impossible to make that projection. So take everything you see with a grain of salt. Don't get down on the people who make those projections and don't get too high on them or too low or whatever because they're only going by with what they see. They're not on this show every week breaking down you know, 30-second clips of guys dunking on people and getting excited about it. They have no idea. So... Um, Shots fired. Jeez. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> We've done it before. <laughs> to add to that. We've done it before. But, add to but that, it just, it's really um, hard to project a team like Indiana right now. It just, Ryan, it, Michigan was picked to win the league two years in a row and was the nine seed or close to being in the top, and they were the nine seed. Indiana course. was picked to win the Big Ten and didn't win the Big Ten and maybe was a game away from like a seventh, eighth, ninth seed yeah. in the Big Ten. Now, there are reasons. We know that the injury played a big role, X's injury in, in a big role and and, and, and so forth. Um but the, the projections very rarely yeah. uh, turn out exactly as are projected. There are it's some that are correct guess. or in the ballpark, right? I mean, here's the but thing. It is, it Purdue is, is projected to go no, to be number one, to win the Big Ten and be a one seed and probably be number one most of the year. If Zach Eady gets hurt, that all goes out the window. You know, you're starting all over. So it's it's yeah. just well, and I hate to talk about that, but they were picked in the middle of the Big Ten and a nine seed in preseason. Mm-hmm bracketology last year because of the unknown factor yeah and they, they brought a in a couple of guards that really played above what everyone nationally thought that those freshmen were not going to be able to play at that level yeah. and my gosh they played at that level so yeah. that's where the proof is on the hardwood uh you know starting yeah. in november it's and all, all this is fun guys, talk, so get, right it's just all, fun yeah all i'm saying is do not get too carried away with it or get mad at the guys who post that and say indiana's you know you know, going to be in the bottom half of the Big Ten or whatever. Don't get don't get mad about it. It's 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 we'll all a, it's all a dice roll. I don't sense that Indiana fans really get mad at like the wide range of projections because we all kind of acknowledge that they get mad when people get kind of basic facts wrong or aren't. Fair, oh, that's fair, fair to players. Yeah. But we'll we'll get into that. There's um, a lot. Of, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of teams to cover in, in yes. Division One basketball, though. So, yes. You know. Um, all right, just a couple other things. The Auburn game set for December 9th at State Farm Arena. Those tickets go on sale August 15th. I know several people asked about that. Tickets go on sale August 15th. And then the last little note, guys, Mike Woodson making the rounds here. He's going to host a coaching clinic September 29th through the 30th. Uh, that's going to be in Bloomington, I believe, so open to coaches, uh, which just sounds like a great thing to do to build relationships. And I love this. He's speaking at the New York Basketball Clinic, uh, which is at, uh, what's it pronounced, Stepanak? Is it Stepanak High School? Something in New York. Uh, he's speaking on the panel. Let's see, John Calipari is speaking on the panel. Nate Oates is speaking on the panel. Let's see, what do all those coaches have in common? Oh, yeah, they're recruiting Boogie Fland, and it's yep. at his high school, <laughs> which I just thought was hilarious. So good move by Coach Woodson. Uh, he's going up there. He'll be visiting uh, with Boogie that week or weekend, whatever you know, whatever day that is. Uh, but that's big. Boogie Fland, uh, you know, a kind of the bigger big move guard recruit for Indiana. A bigger move for that high school coach, bringing in those names and charging some money for the program uh, <laughs> to bring in those big names and taking advantage of the recruitment situation to make Absolutely. some cash for that basketball program. That is that is smooth. 
Absolutely. But it's a smart use of Mike Woodson's time. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things you got to yeah. be there. Um, and he's going to be there, which is awesome. Um, any other headlines, guys, that you noticed this week? That Pretty we need slow to hit? week. I do want to talk just briefly about Malik. I, I, I feel, and I might be wrong about this, that he's a little bit forgotten in the talk about the roster. X's yeah. return it gets a lot. Uh, whether Trey Galloway should be that too, or can he shoot 45%, we'll talk about that. And then everyone loves Ware and Mbako being the, the, the top 10 player coming in. And I don't know that in general everyone has talked about Malik, but man, if he's approving his athleticism as that picture we talked about before, interesting to see how his game has stretched and improved and how much that'll help the modern basketball where I think Woodson wants to go and we all want Indiana to go. He's yeah, got to improve his game in order to do that. Um, he's obviously improved his body. So I, I think Malik has been uh, one that has just kind of been left behind in some of the conversations about uh, what we're excited about seeing. And he's moving up to one of the top uh, players that I'm excited about, um, even though there's a lot of them. But I think he really holds the key to can he stretch the floor, can he guard, can he do some things and allow Coach Woodson some flexibility to get all that talent on the floor irregardless of position. Uh, so – uh, I'm excited about Malik, and I think we need to all keep him in in mind as just as just as important as Mbako and Ware and and all of those other guys. But I just got that sense that we know he's there, but we haven't really talked about how important he is. Not our show, but in general, the feel of of what is yeah. discussed about the roster. Yeah, more lateral quickness will help him stay out of foul trouble, yeah. um, particularly. But I don't worry about Malik's offense. That's that's the, one of the one of the things I don't worry he's about. Score. Is his score some points. Yep. Yeah. Okay, coming up on Assembly Call Radio, let's dive into a topic that often frustrates IU fans, and that is the national narratives about IU basketball. What are the guys getting right? What are some ones that we disagree with here this offseason? We're going to play buy or sell with some of those next. Stick with us on the Assembly Call. All right. Hello, everybody. Nice to see you all here live. Valerie, good to see you. Some, Hope the wrist is healing up well. Going to grab, some, grab some cereal. Yeah. I mean, if I could just sit here and <laughs> just munch on some cereal. Um, okay, cool. So we'll let's just hop into this. Uh, this should be this be a fun segment. All right. With Coach's boy, Jeff Goodman. That's my guy. I like cozy him. With no Jeff Goodman seems to like him. Nah, I think I think people are coming around on Goodman. We'll talk about it. I actually think a lot. I mean, a lot of the stuff he said makes sense. I think he. I think the fact that Tally is here, he. I, I feel like he understands like the current roster better than most of the guys do now. I think he's just paying yeah. closer attention. Still doesn't want to give Woody any credit, but he's paying closer well, attention to the players. <laughs> and another thing, I don't necessarily think it fits into segment two, but one of the things I enjoy about following national podcasts and national is you get a lot of information about a lot of teams. You and do. my expectation is they're not the specialist on St. John's or they're not the specialist yeah. on, on San Diego State, but I get enough to know about those teams from yeah. them. And that serves a purpose in getting basketball information about a lot of teams. But I, but I go into it knowing that there's probably a lot more information about San Diego State than I'm going to hear on Gary Parrish's podcast or I'm going to hear with the Field of 68 guys or whatever else. But you, I get a plethora of college basketball information. But I'm try, I think I would encourage people to understand the source and how deep the sources can be about one particular team and obviously apply that to, to Indiana as well. Yep. 
So All what right. do we got? Uh, Liam McNeely and Queen are doing their visits together, right? Did we get? Yes. We got that first weekend in, or I guess it's the second weekend in September, 9th, tenth, eleventh. Oh, you broke up September. Yeah, September 9th, tenth, eleventh. Okay, or eighth, cool. ninth. 10th, I, I, yeah, I I was just looking at something and just making sure that was the truth. Yep. And then I th- I don't know if Boogie's is scheduled yet, but they're they're expected to get him back. His may be. I know Woody's visiting him. September 13th, and I think he's supposed to come back for an official visit, too. So we'll see when. All right, here we go. Let's do this. Hi, this is Lily King. I hope you enjoy the show, but ask yourself, do we really need this much basketball talk for a swimming and diving school? Where do you think the candy stripes came from anyway? Go Hoosiers! I love Lily King. It's just a pleasure to share the airwaves with Lily King whenever we get to play that intro. <laughs> so and you, you can't kind of retort and argue with her. I mean, no, like, nor you know, nor would I. She's if a she champion. was here in person. I mean, yeah, no, whatever you say, Lily, absolutely yes. correct. Yep, it's a she's swim. the best. Yeah. Clearly, one of the top four or five athletes in IU history. I don't think that's a controversial Easily. statement. And also so one well. of the top four or five trash talkers in, in IU sports yeah. history. Just a legend. I love Lily King. She's greatness. Um, she okay. She is awesome. So segment two, we're going to talk about some national narratives. Um, several different podcasts uh, on the field of 68 and elsewhere have been talking about Indiana. You know, it kind of makes the rounds. And, you know, I know a lot of times, you know, some of the guys on these shows will say something and we'll take exception to it. And we'll kind of, you know, pull out some examples there uh, of, of where that happened, especially with, with one of the ones that came out this week. Um, you know, but as coach was saying uh, in the, you know, in, in our break between segments, you know, these guys get a lot right too. And you, and you have to understand, you know, the big national shows, they can't dive into each team with the depth that we do. And so it's, you know, that we do with Indiana and that other team specific podcasts do. And so sometimes these guys will get a few things wrong, you know, like Jeff Goodman, you know, talked about the impact Ja'Kai Newton could have this season. And I think we all kind of expect that his, he may not have that big of an impact because we know about the injury concerns. And so there's some details that are missed. Um, but you can, as coach said, kind of get a wide variety of information about different teams. And I think it also can help, you know, when we razor focus on Indiana, sometimes it's easy to forget, okay, but where does Indiana kind of fit in in the larger context of college basketball? Like we know what we think of our talent. Where do other people think that we fit in? And so it's not to say that they're, you know, always right, always wrong. And that's kind of what we want to do in this segment is basically take some things that we're hearing people say about Indiana specifically. Do we agree? Do we disagree? Uh, you know, and, and to what degree in each case. So uh, I'm, I decided to use one of the podcasts. It was a field of 68 discussion between Jeff Goodman and Greg Waddell. Um, I wasn't familiar with, with Greg Waddell's work, um, but he hosts the show with Jeff Goodman. Um, and they talked through Indiana for about 15 minutes and got permission from Jeff and from Rob Dosser over at uh, Field of 68 to pull some clips from that. So I actually have some clips so you can hear what they say in their own words. Thanks to Rob and Jeff uh, for being cool with me using those. Um, and so we'll just go through these. I think I've got <clears throat> about eight of them. And, you know, I chose these because they're common things that I've heard elsewhere, too. And so I think it's just a good, um, you know, kind of survey of some of the things that we're hearing out there. And we'll decide if we buy it or if we sell it uh, based on our knowledge of Indiana. Um, so let's start with clip number one. Here we go. This is Jeff Goodman. It's not like I'm taking a shot at Mike Woodson. I'm just saying, like, sometimes I think Mike Woodson is still coaching like he's back in, like, the 80s or 90s. <laughs> instead of moving forward with the way basketball has um, 
you know, uh, adapted here. He's not adapting with uh, the game. Okay, so there's Jeff Goodman talking about how Mike Woodson may not be adapting properly to the game, which is something we've talked about on this show in the past. Coach, are you buying or selling that narrative from Mr. Goodman? I'm selling that narrative. I don't necessarily agree that he is stuck in the 80s and 90s. I think he kind of chose 80s and 90s basketball because it was the best fit for this basketball team to win games and to challenge for a Big Ten title, and I think it was it was okay. Uh, I know I was I was critical uh, uh, of the offense at times, more sets, more getting shooters, and that I stand by that. Uh, but the, as the season progressed and the offseason progressed a, a little bit more, I think that Coach Woodson did a pretty good job of analyzing what the roster was and where to put people in to be as successful as possible. Where where he is somewhat correct is it is not modern basketball. Modern basketball is a little more movement and, and a little different personnel at different spots and, and, and ways of different. So that's where I kind of say, like, it, it's not – not true, but I don't think the word stuck. I don't think that was fair to Coach Woodson because Coach Woodson wants to win. He needed to win early to get recruiting battles going, and, and he had a superstar in Trace Jackson Davis, so he played a heavy post up game. Uh, the post up game is is pretty much gone in a lot of college basketball. It's gone in the NBA for the most part. Uh, and if anything, I think Coach Woodson wants to move to more NBA spread out offense and and more you know, drive and kick, pick and roll offense as a whole. And we've heard this off season where he wants to modernize. So I'm selling that. I don't, I, that's one that I really didn't agree with uh, Goodman for the word of stuck in the eighties and nineties. Um, could Woodson have done some things differently? Yes, but I don't think he's stuck uh, in, in the eighties and nineties. I thought he made a choice with the roster is, is a better way of looking at it. Yeah. I'm with you coach. I, I sell this. I do kind of understand how someone from the outside looking in could get that perception by watching Indiana play, even though I mean Indiana was using a lot of pick and rolls, and I think they used Jalen in a very modern way. But like right. you said, with the roster that he had, there were some limitations. Where I think you really see this is what is a coach's recruiting priority? And it's very clear what they're trying to recruit. The problem is they just didn't land some of those guys in the transfer portal. And so people look at, I think, some of the lack of scoring and shooting on the wing – and think that that was a preference. That wasn't a preference. They just didn't land those guys very well. you know. And so I think that's all part of it. But I think based on what we've seen of what he wants to do and what they're prioritizing and recruiting, I think it's, a, it's kind of a false narrative. But eventually it has to make its way to the court too for everybody to see that. So I, I, I get it, but I'm selling it kind of based on what we know of it a little bit up close. And Ryan is itching. I kind of just want to keep talking. I love watching Ryan when he has a point to make. And it's not his turn to talk yet. Go. <laughs> I'm, I'm just being patient. I'm not interrupting. You're just waiting for me to interrupt you. No, I sell this because his offense and his coaching style isn't stuck in the 80s and 90s. It's stuck in the early 2000s. It's not the 80s and 90s. Um, no, I, I think, look, I think that the success at the end of the season at times, the success with Jalen Huchifino and Trace Jackson Davis just playing out of his mind does paper over some of the flaws. And one thing which is very early 2000s and up to probably about 2009 in the NBA that happened was people prioritized athleticism over basketball skill. And so, and Mike, uh, Mike Woodson has recruited a lot of guys that are super athletic, but he hasn't recruited somebody who's a 40% three point shooter or, and, and they have recruited. I mean, he got some Miller cop to transfer. He did, but Miller cop was also coming off a very bad season. Let's remember that. 
he, where he shot in the low thirties. Um, so yes, he but they still recruited that. him for a shooting. I mean, so sure. That, okay. That's fine. I, I, but I'm saying consistently he has picked athleticism over skill or he just hasn't landed the skilled guys he's gone after. Yep. Now, Jalen Hutchifino, you could argue was more of a skill guy than an athleticism guy, but he was also six, six, 215 pound guard, you know, who's a prototypical Jason kid type or, so, you know, almost. Um, so I, I wouldn't credit that as being going for skill over athleticism. So I will say that there are some things in his preferences that fit in a different area uh, era of basketball. And I can't say I'm buying or I'm, I, I can't say that I'm selling that he's like that because we haven't seen otherwise yet. Now you can make excuses and say it was the team. It was the roster. It was this, that, and the other. fine, but we haven't seen what he's going to do with a different type of roster yet. So I can't just blindly accept that all of a sudden they're going to play warriors basketball, you know, or like a big free flowing three point shooting, open floor concept, you know, running shooters off screens consistently to get them open. Like I, maybe he does that. And I running shooters off screens. That's awesome. I would be stoked (laughs) if that's the case, emphasizing the three more emphasizing shooters, prioritizing, getting shooters looks over point guard center, you know, and it may just be that that's where his best players were for two years in a row. And that's what he went for. It's totally possible, but we haven't seen otherwise. And so until I see it, I can't just guess that he's going to change. He's added a lot of athleticism. He's added some skill. I'll give him credit for that. Gabe Cup, Gabe Cups is not an athleticism guy, and he really wanted him. You know, that's a guy who plays basketball more than is an athlete. And so, and some of the other guys are too. That's completely fair. But until I see it from Mike Woods, I'm just going to blindly accept that he that he's changing the pattern we've seen for two years. It could totally happen but I have yet to see it. Okay. And to and play along point, with Ryan, us, by the way, in the chat, let us know if you buy or sell these narratives. To, to where you, I would agree with you is the questions about the roster and is there still shooting and is there enough to space the floor? Those questions have not gone away in my mind, even with the increase in talent and, even uh, if and skill, right? And, so that would still yeah. be a pattern of this is, it might be the third year of more twos and more pull-up jumpers. Yep. Uh, and not as many threes that cause that mathematical problem. And then that becomes, you know, in year three, that then becomes a pattern. Uh, I mean, how I'm many just times not sure last two year? years is enough for a pattern. I mean, how many times last year do we say, you know, they're staying in the game, but the other team just hit four threes in a row and you hit four twos in a row. You know, I mean, it's that happens all the time to this team over the last two years. And you have to prioritize the three pointer. We've talked about it on this show consistently after losses, when you get down, just feed your three-point shooters and let them go. You have nothing to lose, and that just hasn't happened. It hasn't been the way. But didn't that they his teams play. in the NBA shoot a lot of threes? Again, New York. And I, his teams in the threes. NBA. His teams in the a, pl- NBA played a lot of ISO ball and one-on-one ball. And so when they got threes, it was out of their teammates finding them as opposed to set a set right. system to get them looks or it was a guy would drive five people would suck into the lane and he'd have to kick it out to him or he'd dribble 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 fire it you know i mean it's so they they there were times where they did shoot a lot of threes but i think the knicks did one year and i think the hawks might have one year but it wasn't a consistent thing and it wasn't out of a system to get those looks Okay. Well, much more. I mean, look, that's going to be a a continuing narrative as we go. And so we will uh, continue to monitor that, obviously. But speaking of three-point shooting, let's go on to narrative number two. 
But again, looking at their roster right now, and don't try to tell me like Trey Galloway is going to shoot 45% from three again, because <laughs> I don't think he will. I think he, he was a beneficiary of a lot, a lot, a lot of uncontested threes because of Trace, because of Jalen, because of race top. Like there were a lot of guys there. Um, so Ryan, we'll let you buy or sell this in just a second, but just to give some factual basis here, Trey did shoot 46.2% from three, uh, from three last season, um, and I looked on Synergy, he had 59 catch-and-shoot three uh, uh, attempts. 27 of them were guarded. He shot 33% on those attempts. 32 were unguarded. He shot 56.3% on those attempts. So certainly, I think what Goodman is saying about Trey feasting on unguarded attempts is certainly true, but the question is, do you think that that can repeat itself here as we go into next season? No. I don't think he's going to shoot over 40% this year. And that's not because I don't think he's worked on his three-point shot. I think he's going to have to shoot more this year. And that's going to inevitably lead to his percentage going down. I mean, you know, when he would make it, it would be like one or two a game. It wasn't like he was making five in a game consistently. So, or even ever, I think. So I, I do think he's going to have to shoot more this year, especially if he is in that starting lineup. And if he does, I think his percentage is inevitably going to go down. He could shoot high 30s. Um, and certainly his shot did improve. I still don't think it's, it's not pretty, but it works and, 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 and the ball goes in. So that's, that's all that matters. And And as Mark Titus is fond of saying, if you're shooting that well from three, if your percentage is that good, you're not taking enough shots, (laughs) you know, which there's, I mean, it's true. And, and I'll say his shot is very slow. Uh, so I think it is going to be harder for him to find as many unguarded attempts this year. Now that people know he can hit it unguarded, they've got these same numbers, you know, they're analyzing these same numbers. Don't leave that guy alone. He'll make it. If you leave it alone, And if you pressure him, his percentage drops by 23%. And, and that's yeah. pretty common. Uh, it's not just Trey. That's most people. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I'm buying Goodman sentiment that he's not going to shoot that well again, but that doesn't necessarily mean coach that he's not going to be perhaps even a more valuable offensive weapon. I mean, he's got room to grow. If he takes more attempts, even if he's shooting 37, 38% on more attempts, you know, and, and able to do some other things, he can still be very valuable. But yes, I think it's it's unlikely that he shoots that high of a percentage. Yeah, I, I, I'm buying this uh, because I, I don't know if he's going to get as many open looks, but I still think he's going to get some with, with the talent that Indiana has. If you're going to guard people, you're probably going to put you know, the less emphasis on Trey Galloway. I mean, you're going to stop X, you're going to stop where you're going to stop renew. You're going to stop Mbako. Your fifth concern is, is Trey Galloway. So he'll be able to score, but Trey Galloway starts and plays a lot of minutes because he does so many other things to impact winning. He's not a prototypical two guard in the college game in modern basketball. Uh, the, the two is a guy who can, who can, you know, put it on the deck, the guy who could just catch heel toe toe lift and score is just a flat out uh, closer normally plays in those wing spots at the two or the three he's not that he is a junkyard dog who worked really hard on his shot and benefited from double teams and a passer in trace jackson davis that could find people right and, and kudos to him he took care of that but where where i'm buying it in green is uh, the pieces are different, which means he's going to come down. And for all the reasons you guys talked about too, that he's going to have to shoot more and that's going to bring his percentage down. And people know that if he's wide open, they'll close out hard and run him off the three point line and try to get him to drive uh, and do that. That'll be in the scouting report a lot more this year than, than what it was last year. So uh, I agree. I don't think he's going to shoot 45%, but that doesn't take away his value 
uh, for for the basketball. But he is not. If you're sitting around with a bunch of coaches and you're like, what's the prototypical two or three wing that you want? C.J. Gunn fits that a little bit more from a yep. talent size, talent, and quickness with the shot and elevation on his shot than, than Trey Galloway. And I think that's what the national guys see that um, in, in Trey Galloway. Yep. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Here's Jeff Goodman. Mbako, where, um, you know, to me, you know, I, I just, I don't know if they fit uh, together with Renew on the front line. Like those three guys just don't, I don't think Mbako is a three. I think he's a four. And I don't know who can guard a three. And I don't know who can step out. I think, you know, the court's going to be a little clogged. And if and if X isn't making shots and Galloway kind of goes back to what he was, which is a, a, an average three-point shooter, I don't know, man. Like, I, again, they'll win games, but I don't know if they'll do anything in the tournament. And I actually want to group three and four together, and it'll be clear why here once we start explaining it. So there was Goodman on Indiana's front court and some of the fit issues that we've talked about. But then Jeff also said this later on in the podcast. Roster construction is like you can accumulate talent all you want, but if you don't have the right pieces, I don't care how much talent you have. Yep. Yeah. The puzzle has to fit together. We've seen that time and time again. That was Greg Woodell that came in. So I'll start this one off. I think a lot of us are buying that it's a bit of an odd fit. It's it's not an ideal fit with Mackenzie no. Mbako, Malik Renew, and Kalel Ware. Now, Kalel's versatility helps that because he should be able to kind of step out, let Malik operate on the block. But most of the analysts who have really watched Mackenzie Mbako play think that his best fit as a freshman is at the four. Now, in the NBA, he's you know probably more of a three type, but in college right now, his game would probably be more ideally suited to playing the four. But who are Indiana's three most talented players? Mackenzie Mbako, Malik Renew, and Kalel Ware. And so while I'm buying that there are some fit issues, I'm selling Goodman's idea about you know how fit trumps talent so much more. Because I think at the end of the day, and I'll, I'll explain why, at the end of the day, I think Indiana's going to win a lot of games this year because Mbako, Renew, and Ware may be more talented than any players the other team even has. And so a lot of games, even if the fit isn't perfect, you're going to overwhelm people with just guys who can do a lot of things, have a lot of size on the basketball court. Now, as you start going deeper in the tournament and playing better and better teams, the fit of your talent does become important. And so I think that could maybe cap Indiana's, you know, ability to win a Big Ten title or ability to, you know, move beyond the the, the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. But I think the fit issues are a little bit overplayed, you know, if you have reasonable expectations for this team. It's not ideal, but you know what is ideal? Having two McDonald's All-Americans, two five-stars, and a high-rated four-star in your starting lineup. Because most teams in the country can't compete with that, and you have a good point guard to make it all go together, that's going to win you a lot of games. And so I just I think the front court fit is a little bit overblown unless you're thinking about Indiana's potential Final Four team. And fair enough, that may cap the ceiling. But I think it's going to be good enough for this team to be really, really good, even if the pieces aren't perfect fits. Coach? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of buying this. Um, that that's my biggest fear is the 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 pieces don't fit 
Uh, I'm more concerned defensively than offensively, and and we talked before the show that, uh, that you know if if we have matchup problems on our end guarding people, they're going to have, and I believe that, and I and I do understand you want to put your best talent out there, but what I'm saying is modern basketball. This this these puzzle pieces aren't a perfect modern basketball fit. That doesn't mean Indiana can't win. And I think Goodman said that. They'll win games, but I don't see him doing a whole lot in the tournament. Kind of fit what you just said, uh, Jared, is his concern. Now, you know, it is up to Coach Woodson to meld all that together offensively and defensively, and we'll see. Uh, But ultimately, too, it's a guards game. Like, we need X to be good X coming off his injury. We need Trey to do some things. What's the depth behind that? We have some young guys playing uh, the guard positions that we don't know have reached their potential in C.J. Gunn and and Cups and um, who am I forgetting? Banks, who who might play the wing. So, you know, you can have tons where, where I do say fit matters and talent you could have the best front line but if you're turning the ball over and you're jumping the air and throwing the ball to the Arizona coach like in Las Vegas and the ball never gets to your front line uh doesn't matter that's bad x when you have good x playing in the Big Ten tournament who gets nine and 11 assists uh so that talent can be good or bad but it's really going to be dependent on how the guards play so that's where that fit is important uh, I believe but Indiana's relevant because of the talent that they have. They're not totally rebuilding where it's going to be an NIT year unless the worst, worst happens. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm buying that. That's my biggest fear is that this team doesn't gel, has a lot of talent, but doesn't gel because the pieces are different. Um, but I hope that we're proven wrong when it, once play starts. Mm-hmm. Ryan? Yeah, I look, I think that talent and fit, I don't think one's more important than the other. I think they go hand in hand because you can have all the talent True. in the world. Kentucky has proven this year in and year out with all their five stars. They can have the most talented team in the country, but if the pieces don't fit well, the guys don't gel, there's no chemistry, it doesn't matter. And Purdue last year was not the most talented team in the country for most of the season, but those pieces fit very well together and were able to work together until – they figured people figured out how to handle those freshman guards, and that changed everything. But the team would fit well together. Um, You've hit your a lot of national champions for one episode, by the way. That's enough. Know. You know what? Uh, <laughs> we're talking about the Big Ten. It's uh, but the uh, you've seen that with Michigan State too. Tons of talent, guys just don't really fit. It, but if you look at most national title teams, the pieces fit well together. And if they don't look fit well on paper, the guys have amazing chemistry and know how to play together. So I do think that fit is incredibly important. And certainly I do think it trumps talent because you can have the most talented team in the world. As I said, they don't fit together. It it doesn't matter. Um, I disagree. I mean, I would take, I mean, if, if I can have one or the other, give me the talent. It's still basketball. I mean, you're right. You need to have both. There's no question. But if you're, if you're only going to, if you're going to favor one or the other, you still want to get the most talent. I think that you'll still win puts you in a better position. With, if you pick talent over fit, I think you'll win a decent amount of games, but you're not going to win a championship. That's sure. what you need say. both to win it. Yeah, you need yes. both to yes. So if, that. and that's what I'm saying is that without fit, you can't win a championship. So why does the other thing matter? Now you want to accumulate as much talent as possible. Of course, recruiting rankings matter. They do because you're getting the best players. Now there are guys who surprise you and all that stuff. But for the most part, if you have the most talent, you're in the championship conversation. If you're among the most talented teams, uh, every year the teams among the most the, uh, in the elite eight and final four are among the most talented teams in the country almost every time. Um, 
what I'll say about this fit, though, is we don't know what it's going to look like because we don't really know what Kalel Ware looks like on a college floor. We have a very small window into what he looks like on a college floor, and clearly he's trying to be a different guy this year. And Baco, I agree, more of a four. Uh, I've I've compared him a lot to a Luol Deng type who isn't you know isn't this crazy athlete that can kind of play the three at his size. The thing that makes me sort of feel like it doesn't matter is that neither Ware nor Mbako are going to be a default post player, back to the basket post player. That's Renew's job. Now, Ware might do that some when he's in there, but Mbako's not going to. He's going to be on the perimeter. So does it really matter if he's a three or a four? Only on defense, really. So you could have him playing the nominal three on the perimeter on offense and have Ware be the nominal four, but it doesn't really matter as long as one of them can guard a wing on the other end, or at least slow down a wing on the other end. Uh, Cause they're going to get the secondary wing, not the primary one. Cause you're probably having Trey Galloway on whoever the primary wing is defensively. So I, I don't think it's going to matter as much as people are acting, but it's true. It is an awkward fit. Uh, it, it really is. And it's, it's not normal. We also don't know if all three are going to start to open the year. I mean, there's a, there's a chance that they all play a lot of minutes but aren't on the floor together all the time. So we don't really, can Renew actually play 32 minutes a game or 30 minutes a game as the post guy this year? Maybe not. Maybe it's better if he plays 25 and you've got the other guy playing 25 and you keep him fresh for the stretch. So we don't know what they're going to do. So assuming those three start and are always playing together and it's clogging the lane, we don't know that that's the case. Ryan, that's a great point. I was just sitting here thinking there are 80 minutes at the at the post fours and fives yeah. right if you split those three ways that's 25 25 25 you still have five minutes and there's gonna I be times where someone plays on the perimeter right as a but I, i'm stuck in the off season where the backup three will play when the three needs to come out and the yeah. backup four will play for where but we're not giving coaches and the staff credit enough to think that okay Shifting we lineups. may start with those three out and at the seven minute mark we're going to take renew out and slide Mbako and play Mbako and where, and then put Renew back in, and it's Mbako and Renew. But a lot of that will depend on the development of Gunn and Banks being able to play those wings and cups, and 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 if we can bring in someone for some wing depth. If we have good wings where we could play three wings, now that gets a lot of freshness, some foul trouble uh, protection, and you have talent after talent at the four and five there's no drop off that could be an interesting piece that we're and, that most of us are not thinking and we're thinking in that hockey style the backup yeah. one plays for the one the backup yeah. two plays for the two you might have a seven or eight man rotation uh by the time um uh the season rolls around that's well, what we talked about in our, minutes, in our minutes episode coach too if people go back and listen you know five well six the other thing is you've ago. also got peyton sparks you know, who's going to get, he's going to play, he's going to play, you know, so you've got to figure that that time is going to be shared amongst those guys, not equally, but it will be shared. And so there will be some time probably where Mbako sliding into the three and you got two posts or two post it more post classic post guys, you know, I mean, Mbako is going to have to play that at times. He just has to based on the roster. Um, but, and if it's an advantage, yeah, I mean, if he's 6'8", being guarded by a 6'4 guy, you know, he's going to be able to get his shot off. He's going to be able to bully a guy down into the post. We saw Renew step out on the floor some. You could have five out and let Mbako go to work on this guy. I mean, it's it's, Here, here's, it's a lot. Yeah. Of the thing the I'll say about this too year, is... Go ahead. 
I, I'm just saying, I, I'm not sure how much run Walker and Sparks get. Like, yeah, I don't. We're not, not giving them 15 be, to 20 minutes because they no. came here in a transfer portal. No, 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 no. Uh, Walker only so. averaged what eight to 10 minutes at Miami. Totally. Uh, that's the most he's getting. And and Peyton Sparks, we don't know if his Ball State stuff can transfer to the Big Ten. He might I be a Michael Durr matchup. His minutes are going to fluctuate some, I think. Totally. Based on yeah. foul trouble. I'm just saying, and, I'm just saying yeah. they're there, and they can help you mix and match the lineups to keep those guys fresh. I'll yeah. also right. say one, one final thing is this roster certainly is more versatile than last year, where you basically had one for one subs at every spot. Now you've got some guys like Caleb Banks who play the four. He could probably run at three some because of his athleticism yep. and defensive ability. Uh, CJ Gunn could play the two. He's got he's six five. He can move to play the three a little. I mean, you have more of a shifting ability where guys can slide between multiple spots. Last year it felt like okay when TJD is out, renews in when the, when or Race Thompson's taking that spot. Wait, you know, need, none of those guys were were switching to the perimeter ever. Um, and I do think there's a lot more versatility this year. And so yeah. what the national guys sometimes don't understand is that they're, the fit is not set by what we assume is the roster. we got to trust the coaches and the coaches at this other school and that other school. They're putting all this together by watching summer workouts and figuring stuff out. Like We really don't know what the pieces are and where they fit. We're just assuming all three of them are going to play major minutes together. Uh, I think that's a good point to uh, that that we cool. all need to remember. I'm I'm glad we we talked about that because I funny. wasn't in that mindset to be honest. It's yeah. funny the national guys are the ones ragging Mike Woodson for not playing modern basketball, but then they're forgetting that modern basketball is largely positionless, and they're they're yes. focusing yeah. in on these positions and and you know pegs you have to put people into when you don't have to anymore. You really don't. Yeah, and look again, you know, to the point that you made earlier, Ryan. There are some definite questions defensively because those three guys will play. Like, I think the reason why people talk about it is they're the three most talented players. So you're going to have, they will probably be in a lot of the most used lineups, even though Indiana is going to be able to shape shift a little bit more. And those guys do have some issues defensively, but you got to guard them too. <laughs> and they're going to be really tough to guard on the other end. And so it's important to remember that as well. So, um, Okay, good one. Let's move on now to the fifth one. This one's about X. It feels like they're risking whatever next season's going to be on Xavier Johnson. And that is not a risk I would want to make at all after him coming off an extended stretch of not playing and, quite frankly, the way he looked before he went down last season. Is that fair? Uh, no. Um, so this is Greg Waddell. Um, and he actually had did another podcast earlier today and expounded a little bit on his concerns about X's ability to stay healthy coming off the foot issue. X took exception to it. If you saw and retweeted it and, and kind of took it like he was saying, he hoped um, that X got hurt or was like wishing ill will on him. I mean, I love X. I think that was a slight misinterpretation and Waddell was a little bit sloppy with his, the way he communicated it. So I get it. Um, but, you know, he clearly is down on X. And here's the thing. We've spent a lot of time on this show this offseason. I certainly have. Talking about how one of the major question marks I have about this team is how do a bunch of new pieces function when their leader is Xavier Johnson, who has been a guy who, while he's been very productive throughout his college career, has been erratic with his performances and decision-making at times. His effort is not erratic. You know, his intensity is not erratic. But at times, he's had performances that haven't been as good. We've all seen that. But, man, I really think people are hyper-focusing on that at the expense of all the stuff that he brings. You know, he's been durable his whole career outside of that one freak injury. He's been 
consistently productive overall from season to season, even though there are fluctuations from game to game. And how many other teams have a guy who has been in college for six years who has done what X has been able to do? You know, I don't think he's going to smooth out all the fluctuations, but there aren't many other point guards in the country that I would want leading the team more than him. So I get that there's some questions, but you got to look at the opportunity cost. If we don't have X, now who's stepping in at point guard? And how many other point guards in the country are you trusting more than him? And I know it seems, you know, for an erratic guy, you know, trusting X, some people might have a hard time with that. But he's earned a lot of trust from this fan base. Um, and I think narratives like this from Waddell hyper-focus on a few negatives while ignoring all of the positives that he brings. So I'm selling this, you know, despite my own misgivings, I think X is entering this season as one of the most underrated and underappreciated players. Because I think from the outside, people just see this guy who's emotional and a little bit up and down. And I don't think you see all the things on a game-to-game basis that Indiana fans have really come to appreciate about him. So I'm selling this because I'm expecting a big season um, from X, even if there's a few up and downs, you know, as we as we kind of go through the process. Ryan? I mean, I'm selling it too, but he's right. I didn't think X looked very good before he got hurt. I really didn't. I think he struggled with sharing. I think sharing. he and Jalen were struggling. I mean, he looked yes. great against he looked great at Xavier, though. I'm not saying there weren't reasons for it, you know, but I do think he really struggled with sharing the ball a little bit. And I think that we have to remember we're basing most of our Xavier Johnson praise off of what about a 10 game stretch his first year in Indiana. But a lot of the rest of the season we complained about how erratic he was and how he was struggling and how he would get technical fouls and yell at the other team and talk trash and get affected by ref- referees. Now he's more mature now and we've seen what he can be, but we don't know who he's going to be. It's been a long time. So I, I think the criticism and the question marks are valid. I don't, but I don't buy this though. I I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that he'll be a, a more mature guy and I think he'll be more consistent, but I do think we hyped him heading into last year, maybe a little higher than was warranted. Not that he wasn't going to be a good point guard. It's tough to know because they might have figured that out by February and March. You know, I mean, we expected some growing pains. No, that's fair. I, I, as I said, I think that we're going to be growing pains there. But we hyped him like he could be first team All Big Ten. I don't think, in hindsight, that was ever going to happen. He could have been, you know, an honorable mention or 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 something like that. But I don't think that he was. I think we did overhype where he was going to end up over the course of a full season. Now, could he be in a short stretch an all big 10 guard? Of course, a first team, all big 10 guard, of course, but because his highs can be really high, but those lows can be really rough. And so it's just a matter of him finding that consistency. I am going to lean towards, I think Xavier Johnson could have a really good season. Um, But I do think that I understand the criticism of him and why some people are questioning that coach. I'm, I'm selling this as well. Um, I do think if you're a coach and you have a sixth-year point guard coming back that will be basically in his third year, and even despite the injury, he had a chance to sit back, watch film, see it from a different perspective, you're banking on teaching that guy what you want, um, and that's hard to pass up because the alternative is you put the ball in Gabe Cups, and I'm not sure Gabe Cups is Jalen Hood's Shafino. I love Cups. I think he's going to do do really, really well. We were very fortunate when X went down to have the type of player that Hood Shafino was to step in at the point guard and play the point guard. So I do think the season X is a huge, huge piece of the success. But um, 
where I, I disagree with you is if we really look at the rosters, I bet there's a lot of point guards that would be better for this team than Xavier Johnson has shown over his years because they're more consistent. Now, I don't have names or whatever else, but I don't know that he is the best point guard in college basketball. I don't think he's in the well, top I didn't say 10, that. But, he's, but, that's, but how many names but, are you going to choose over him is my question. But he's got to be consistent. Um, and... and I, I hope he is, and I believe he will because I think the drive is there after sitting out. Um, uh, he had, but he's not. He has not been consistent in the year and a half that he played um, inside of games and in games. So I'm like Ryan. I'm selling it. I, I don't think that was fair to say. I wouldn't risk that because I think that's a that's a horrible comment. You have to take the risk. You're not saying, go ahead, go to the pros. We don't want you because I don't want to take the risk of you. Like, there's enough talent. And if he does find that consistency, Indiana's going to be really, really good. And you, I think that's a risk that is worth taking. That's why I oppose Waddell's comment. It is a risk worth taking, and you must take. But there, there you do see where there are some concerns in, in, in his ability to be a 32-33 game leader with major minutes uh, of of a basketball game, and that's a challenge to him to f- to fix fix those. I I mean I agree. There are definitely questions, um, but I think if you actually went through and looked at the different teams, maybe we should do it and looked at all the different point guards. Who would you actually think are safer risks, quote unquote, than X? I think there'd be fewer than you think. And, and I, one thing that I think is important to remember, you know, I know someone mentioned this in the chat. Justin said, you know, he single handedly lost a few of those games his first year here. I think that's a false narrative. I really do. I don't think he single-handedly lost the Wisconsin game. I don't think when he got booed in the Notre Dame game, I don't think a lot of that was his no. fault. Okay, the Wisconsin listen. game was not his fault. Right. 100% not no, his and, fault. And he was the only one doing anything, and he was trying. Right. And, and, and listen, it's not that he doesn't struggle, but what also defined last season Indiana's worst performances, right? A ton being heaped on the point guard, and when the point guard had bad shooting nights because those are the shots the defense was giving us, our offense looked really bad, but those guys kind of had to take those shots because they were the ones that were available. And so I think both J- both X two Flaw years ago and Jalen last year took a heavy amount of criticism on their shoulders just because they were the ones taking the shots. I don't think it was always just because they you know played awful. I think they had some ba- some games where they shot poorly in spots where they were getting some good open mid-range shots. And so I, I just think it's a little bit more nuanced than X lost us a bunch of games and X was terrible. Like he has had ups and downs. There's no question. But the way Mike Woodson runs his offense, it puts a lot on those guys. And he's had two guys that are inconsistent shooters. And so inconsistent shooting a lot of times, you know, I think gives him a worse rap than he should is my point. Because he brings a lot of else to the table in terms of defense and just giving Indiana that emotional edge and a lot of things that this team's going to need. And so that's where I think people underrate him because they hyper-focus on a few bad shooting games and you know some yeah poor offensive decision-making, but there's a full package there. And I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find a lot, a lot of other players in college basketball whose full package you would trust or want running the show more than X. And maybe we should do that for an episode, Coach, and we can go through because maybe I'm wrong. I'd sound like I've gone through all the rosters. That's just my sense of him. Doesn't lessen. I mean, I, I, it's fair to have questions. You know, what does a team look like when X is your leader? He's not had that, and he hasn't exactly displayed the consistency where you can trust that. So I get all that, but I do still think that there's a there's a bit of an underrating of everything he brings to the table, even with all that. 
Um, okay, good, good discussion. And maybe we should do a, maybe we need to do a full episode on X and flesh this out even more. Um, okay, let's go through these next few kind of quickly because these are all pretty basic and we've touched on one of them already. Like, I don't think Gabe Cups is ready by any means physically, but man, like he knows how to play. Like with all that talent out there, actually, I wonder if you could see a scenario where you're playing Cups and X together mm-hmm. and letting X just go score, shoot the ball, score the ball. Cups with four dudes around him that can score the ball. I don't know. I, I kind of wouldn't mind seeing that for a few minutes. Uh, but again, I don't know if Cups is ready physically. I think I think we're all buying the possibility of X and Cups playing together as potentially yes. being advantageous because you move one of your better shooters off the ball, even though, as we saw, it may take some time to mesh because you know X and Jalen hadn't quite found their sweet spot yet and didn't have many games together to find it. But I am selling... Gabe not being, I think there's this narrative that, oh, he's this little freshman. He's not going to be physically ready. I think Gabe is as physically ready as a freshman point guard can be for Big Ten basketball based on just what he's done in the weight room, where he's at mentally, um, which I know isn't the physical part of it. But I think people really underrate his physical readiness to step in and handle 10 to 15 minutes a game this year. What do you think, Uh, I, I believe he's not ready physically. That doesn't mean he's not going to play and not going to do well. But I think you are going to see times where he gets pushed around physically in the Big Ten. I mean, that, that's going to happen because he just, I mean, it's just a biological thing. He's not big. He's pretty he's strong for how for how skinny he is. But, but some freshmen aren't even physically ready to even see the floor. And that's what absolutely. I'm saying. He's physically oh, he, ready. He enough didn't to say, play. I, I don't think, I don't think he was referring to not see the floor. I think he meant like make a huge impact. And I think Gabe Cups is going to struggle to make a massive impact for two reasons. One, he's behind Xavier Johnson. Trey Gall- Two, Trey Galloway can handle the basketball. So you might see Trey at the point some. They did that last year, and Woodson seems to like it. And three, he is pretty skinny. You know, other, I mean, you know, other guards in the league are going to be able to push him around defensively. Um, and, and so, and, he, and on drives, he's going to get bumped. He's going to get hit. They know he's skinny. They're going to go after him, and they're going to, they're going to pound him. Um, but does that mean I think he can't make some kind of an impact on this team? Of course not. He's probably going to be the backup point guard on paper uh, and he will play. And I think he and X will play together. But if you're talking about making a massive impact on this team, yeah, I, I think that it's fair to say from what we know now, it doesn't look like he's physically ready to make that huge impact in the big 10. Um, maybe by the end of the season, he'll be more seasoned and, and, you know, kind of used to it and it'll affect the way he plays. But Jalen Huchifino had struggled with it for a while. Jalen's a big dude, and he struggled with it for a while in the beginning. So I, I do think that that that's going to happen to Gabe as well. And he's a freshman. That's there's totally fine. That's not a knock on him. It's just the way things usually play out. I, I, I'm selling. I think he's ready to be productive. I will agree with Ryan. I'm not sure how much, but in a backup role, I'm confident in him coming off the bench and playing minutes. I would love to see the two of those guys play at the same time. However, I think to maximize X, X is better and more productive with the ball in his hands, getting that ball and going rather than yep. being the off guard. Uh, yes, he's it's getting one of your better shooters off the, off the ball. That is exactly correct and exactly why I would want to see it. But I think short X's spurts. mentality is short spurts. Is just go hard, go hard, yeah. go hard, go hard, and then he is a good shooter when he's gone hard, thrown the the pick and pop and then circled back out and everyone you know another drive and now he finds himself open and the ball's kicked out in that step in that step in three i just think x game is speed 
speed, and that's where he's best. And I worry a little bit about moving him off the ball too much um, because that takes him away from where his strengths are, which is getting to the rim, scoring, getting to the rim, kicking out for three, ball screen, alley-oop. I think X, again, if X – plays the way we want him to that's he's going to be dynamic in those areas so I I do think that that's a uh, I love having two point guards uh, two people who can really dish the ball and and put it on the deck on the floor again I think that's more modern uh, type of basketball but that is a is a concern I think X is best with the ball in his hands and being you know hey I think we have the best chance of being successful we say X this is your team go do it 100% put the confidence in him don't think you know, I mean, you have to think on the floor, but don't overthink. Don't slow your game down. Find the open man. We want seven to nine assists every game along with 15 points. If you do that, man, Indiana, that's the good 10-game stretch that Ryan was talking about. That's what he did. We need that for 30 games and try to give him that confidence with the ball in his hand. So I'm kind of selling that idea, but I would love it. Yeah, I mean, I think that the idea of Cups and X playing together would be short spurts. You know, and maybe Trey Galloway yeah. picks up a couple quick fouls. You bring Gabe in, and now those two guys are playing together. Um, you know, I, I will say, I mean, Ryan, all freshmen are going to be behind the eight ball overall physically. But I do think people underrate Gabe just because he kind of seems like this slight little guy, and yet he's setting freshman weightlifting records. So he's a bigger, stronger player than people are giving credit for. No, no, no. He's not bigger. He's just stronger. Like, okay. that's the thing that you okay, have to stronger. Yeah, strong, and I'll and I'll I'll concede that he is stronger than he looks, but he's not big, and he's you know that's going to take time. Given his body, he just has a thin body. It's not like he doesn't work hard in the weight room. It's just how he's built, and it takes a long time to battle against that biology. It just does. I mean, look, Steph Curry still looks like he did, you know, a couple years in, but he learned how to deal with it, and he learned how to make something out of it. But he's never going to be a big guy strength wise. And I think Cups has kind of got the same type of body there is just he's always going to look skinny, but it's a matter of building up enough and maximizing it and then learning how to play with that body type at the next level. Um, He clearly learned how to do it in high school. He's just going to have to learn how to do it at the next level. Yep. Okay. Uh, Let's. So we talked about one of these is is Goodman basically talking about how Indiana is nationally relevant again, and we really already covered that. So I think we all agree on that one. Let's hit this final one. This is basically Jeff Goodman's expectations for what a good season would be. If this team finishes in the top four or five in, in the Big Ten and gets two wins in in in, in March, that's that's a really good season, Coach. A hundred percent buy, hundred um, percent buy that. Buy uh, you're competing for a first round buy in the Big Ten tournament at least now until there's 27 teams in a tournament, um, and then um, you, you're likely way ahead of that 10 seed that Lenardi has us, um, and that puts you in position to wear white jerseys on the first game and the second game and, and get to that second, and then. Then it's just a, a matchup situation. You're in a position to do something. So if you get there and, and you lose, yeah, it's disappointing and you want to go further. But consistently getting to that second weekend is that next step for Coach Woodson. We're, we've been to the tournament. We've won a game each year. Now it is consistently being the sweet, sweet 16. And then when it pops, 
Now you're in the final four and you have a chance to get that next banner. That's what coach Woodson wants. That's what he's working for. But yes, I think that's a solid year in a year where it should be rebuilding when you lose not only the two studs, but you lose a Miller cop who was a great teammate, uh, race Thompson, who was a do everything like you're really losing four starters. You're lucky you get maybe three and a half because you get X back. But you're losing four starters, and most programs, when they lose four starters, would be just grateful to make the tournament. But Indiana's a little more relevant. I, I love that, and I do think uh, top four or five and a, a Sweet 16 is a really good year for Indiana. Obviously want more. Yep. I'm buying it, too. Yeah, buy it. There's nothing more to add to that. I buy it. Yeah. I think you that, get we've that, talked about successful. that. Anything else we've is talked great. about it on previous shows. Yeah, like yeah. that's, that's yeah, what I, you want. Yeah, I think... We have, I think, little differing opinions on what the potential ceiling is and even maybe what the floor is, but I think we all agree what kind of the baseline expectation is and what would constitute success, and I think it's exactly what Jeff articulated right there. So there we go. So a lot of the Some of the national narratives that you're hearing from folks, obviously some of them we agreed with, some of them we didn't agree with, um, but you know, fun to, fun to go through those and... You know, look, we appreciate those guys, even though we get frustrated with it sometimes. I do always enjoy when the national podcasts are talking about IU because that's part of being nationally relevant again, is getting on there, having those discussions, um, you know, and so whether we agree or disagree, um, you know, one thing I found with most of these guys, most of them, is when you disagree, it always tends to work out better instead of doing kind of the you know, the quote tweet dunk on them and try and call them out. It usually ends up working better to just reply with a legitimate question and ask them. And maybe you misunderstood something or maybe they didn't know something and you can fill them in a little bit. And just having that dialogue, I think, I think we've, you know, we've had a, an antagonistic relationship with some of those guys uh, for a while, this fan base. Um, and I get where that comes from and I've led the charge on some of it. Um, but I'm trying to just change a little bit how I'm interacting with those guys um, and make it more of a conversation than an adversarial uh, relationship. Because as Indiana continues to grow and we're being talked about more on those shows, that's a good thing for the program. And we want that. Um, so anyway, I will now step down off of my soapbox and we will go on to Segment number three. Uh, well, any final thoughts from you guys on those comments or any other national narratives that you're kind of hearing that you want to point out? I think we covered it exhaustively in the best possible way, but mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. B plus is not a bad grade overall from a teacher. No. Uh, we won't mention what good. Waddell's grade was. Waddell was a C. I'll, I'll say that. I think that was quite low, but he also mentioned that that was his highest of the big 10. I don't know how many he's done so far. And so he's I don't a Michigan know if guy two too. or three. Yeah. And he's a Michigan guy. Um, so if he's done a few big 10 and maybe he's just a tough grader, which yeah. <laughs> I'm not. So, all right. Uh, coming up on assembly call radio, it is mailbag time. We got a few really good questions. And so we will sink our teeth into those. Uh, a lot of questions from our community members. We'll talk about those next. So stick with us here on the assembly call. All right. We got three or four of these. Ready to hop right in here? Yep. The first one may be a little meatier of a discussion, so we'll see. If it takes too long, then maybe we'll save, and we can probably do an entire episode on it. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll introduce it here as we go. On which? I'm sorry. 
Uh, Phil's first question, I'll introduce it. The, not a lot of the context is in there if you weren't in the community. I made a post earlier this week, and okay. he wanted us I to can, talk about uh, it here. I put it in the chat, but I can do probably like two questions. I budgeted an hour and 15 tonight, so we're a little over that. Ooh, do I have to pay you overtime? Yes. I'm in California. It's the law. <laughs> Actually, let me let me hop out real quick and I'll bring you back in because I've been stuttering like crazy. I don't know why. Okay. So cool. I'll be right back. Hold on. All right. We'll start. Okay. What's up, y'all? It's Devontae Green, giving you the green light to watch Assembly Call after every IU game. Just don't listen to their opinions about shot selection. Remember, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, Devontae. You're listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni and Ryan Phillips. And it is time for our mailback and all the questions that we are going to cover this evening uh, were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community. You can learn more about that at assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, not only do you get the opportunity to ask us these questions and you know interact on a lot of the different discussions we have, but Coach Tonsoni does his Coach's Corner videos, you know, breaks down shooting fundamentals or breaks down different sets. And then, of course, you also get Tony Adrania's IU Film Room, uh, which is also delivered uh, via email, uh, and get deep dives on, again, you know, players, strengths and weaknesses, sets Indiana's running, scouting reports on opponents. It's a wealth of stuff. Um, and really, if you're you know a, a consistent assembly call listener and you consider yourself an Indiana basketball diehard, that's what the community is for. And so we'd love to have you join us um, this summer or you know if you want to wait until it's closer to the season, that's cool too. But check it out at assemblycall.com slash community. All right, so guys, we'll start with this. Phil says, have a discussion based on the community question you posed about Johnny football and the responsibility of coaches and universities. So to give you guys the quick summary, and Coach, you probably read it, Ryan. I don't know if you had a chance to see it. But basically, the post was, what is the responsibility now of a big-time college sports program to actually prepare a talented player to be a professional? And I got thinking about this with the Johnny Manziel documentary coming out. And actually, I haven't actually watched the documentary, um, but you know, my dad, when he was with the 49ers, scouted uh, A&M. And obviously, I followed them very closely because of my wife's affiliation with A&M. Um, and so I had a very good understanding of what went on with Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M, which in a lot of ways was essentially a coaching staff saying, this guy is, I don't know how he does it, but he's an incredible player. Um, we just need to get him to Saturday, no matter what's happening academically, no matter what's happening off the field. And we're not even going to run an offense because he's so much better freelancing. We're not going to worry about teaching him fundamentals and taking away that just special thing that he has because it works and we're all winning and AM's raising 500 we're more million dollars lot of money. than they yeah. ever have. And so essentially they allowed Johnny Manziel to pass through three seasons without any accountability personally or skill development or anything. And by the time he got to the NFL was completely ill-prepared emotionally, completely ill-prepared in terms of his skill level to be a professional. Now, he may not be the great example because it's possible he just wasn't reachable. But it did get me thinking, what is the responsibility of a college sports program, which is, you know, we know how much college sports have been professionalized. What is the responsibility even to sacrifice something in the short term for an individual's long-term best interests? 
it's very clear at some point Texas A&M should have done something to try and help him kind of turn this around, and they never did because, again, everybody was benefiting from it. And I think we've all, of course, at IU have grown up with this notion with Bob Knight of turning boys into men and how that was that is a very big part of this. And clearly from the comments in the community, a lot of us still feel that way, and I still feel that way. But is that an antiquated notion when college sports have become professionalized and so much money is at stake? What is the mission? And I don't know. I mean, I asked the question because I really don't know. Um, but I do find myself getting a little frustrated by it because to me, college sports aren't going to mean as much if that's not part of it. It's just it's just part of how I view it. So I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts and the audience's thoughts because I think it is an interesting question that we all kind of have to face now as the college sports landscape uh, is changing so much. So this is going to be a little unpopular, I think, but a college head coach's job is to win games. And there are tens of millions of dollars at stake if you do that. Or and a lot of livelihoods that. too. And you know? yes. And so when people say like, oh, he didn't prepare this guy on field for the next level, that's not his job. Now, he may make promises when recruiting and say, hey, we'll we'll develop you in an NFL quarterback. Our system will fit you to go to that level and get you ready. That, But that's not his job. His job is to win football games. But should it he, be at a university? Oh, I'm not done yet. Okay, sorry. So, but I do think that these college programs have a duty to prepare these people for life. Forget the professional football side of things, but to prepare them for life and to hold them accountable personally. I do think that is part of your job as a coach at any level. And I think Coach Tonsoni would agree with me. You are develop, helping develop a person, not just an athlete. And so I don't know if it's necessarily on the football coach, but the university needs to step in and do something in that case. And I think that there need to be mentors around the program to prepare them for life. And that doesn't happen at college athletics very often, but it needs to. As far as developing him to become an NFL quarterback, that's, that's not his job. You can do that in the offseason with your private quarterback coach that they all have. Unless that's promised to the kid during recruiting, which maybe it will be, maybe it won't be. Texas A&M, Kevin Sumlin, when he was there, his head coach, his job was to win games and make money for Texas A&M. And he would get contract extensions and his family would live a very comfortable life if he did those things, regardless of what happened to Johnny Manziel after he left Texas A&M. Now, you can recruit off that guy's success, so there is an incentive to help him go to the NFL. USC recruited off of Carson Palmer's success for years, and they had like eight quarterbacks in a row who were amazing. Based so on that you got success. Kyle Allen and Kyler Murray in the yeah. same recruiting class, I think. And, 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 and so, again, you can recruit off that college success, but if they go to the NFL, it's a longer tail of success you can sell. That said, that's not his primary job, and it never will be. His primary job is to win football games and keep the money flowing into the universe, into, into the athletic department. And as long as he does that, he's keeping his job regardless of what happens to his players when they go to the NFL. If they get DUIs, if they're busted for drugs, if they wash out of the league, none of that matters the second they step off campus to the university. Now, if you get a bad reputation, it could matter after a while, but individual players it doesn't really matter to the bottom line what happens when they leave campus. And it's like, I love Jalen Huchifino and I wish him the absolute best, but if he is never a success with the Lakers, Indiana loses a little because you can't sell on it, sell him. 
Um, but really, does it matter that much in the long term? No, you created a first round draft pick. That's, that's what I mean. Know, but to, to the you best want him to go have a success, be a success. To the best of our knowledge, Indiana did everything to help prepare. Abs- absolutely, and obviously, then it's the, the guy. It doesn't. It's not to absolve individuals saying, from personal responsibility. And I guess here's what I would no. say: I, I I do agree generally that what you're saying is right. That's how things have become. My question is: Should it be that way? Because I don't think you would have said the same thing about head coaches 15, 20 years ago. I feel like they had a different position. They will never sacrifice wins and losses for personal growth of a player. It's that's just reality, Jared. Like, I mean, whether it should, I mean, we did it at Northwestern two years ago. No, I'm, I'm saying in general, I'm not saying there are specific examples the other way. Like they, uh, Florida state after a long time, finally suspended Jameis Winston, you you know, I mean that, but it took a year and a half of that kind of behavior for them to suspend him. But so uh, there are individual examples. I'm speaking in general, though. Yeah. And by the way, a lot of people criticize Woody for suspending those guys and losing that Northwestern game. A lot of people did because how important is it? The guys, they're the college kids who snuck out at night. Now, I think, again, I'm, I'm down with you punishing them, but it also costs you a game. And so although with that team, they probably would have lost anyway. Let's be real. Um, but but no, I, I'm just saying, like, if you ask the athletes, sh- you, you shot the athletic director up with true serum and asked him what, the, wh- which parts of the job are most important. A hundred percent is on winning. Games. Well, I know the money's too big now. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that's how it is. I'm just I think a university. I do think a university and to another, a greater extent, uh, a coach does have a responsibility to create a human being who can handle what life is going to bring at them afterwards. And I think it should be the goal of every program to create people who, when they go out into the world can handle the world. As far as whether or not they're successful in the NFL or college or the NBA or whatever, that's not their responsibility as soon as they leave campus. So that's kind of where I'm at. Let's let the actual coach chime in. Yeah. And that's just the truth, though. That's not coaching is more than what happens on Friday night, Saturday afternoons. Uh, True coaching in academic institutions. You care about the kid, you want the kid to be okay. some of my former players have gone on to be very successful. Uh, some of my players have gone on and made some bad choices. I, I lost a young man to a drug overdose at age 22, 23. Mm. Um, that is out of the coach's hands afterwards. I, I, I wish I would have maybe been able to predict what the problems would have been uh, w- with that young man. But I do believe the true essence of coaching in academic institutions is winning games building players and building men or building women uh, if you're in a, a women's program. I don't think that changes. But here's my uh, here's my point. I don't see college athletics as academic institutions anymore with the amount of money that's there, uh, the NIL. Uh, these are paid athletes uh, that are working for a institution to make dollars. Uh, you can't tell me otherwise with the conference realignment. It is simply about money. So I am not going to hold a, a, a coach responsible for using an asset to make money for himself or for his, if we want to return That's the system to we have coaching created, all of us is if we want coaches to be real builders of men and women, then you've got to go back to academic college athletics and i think that ship has sailed so the answer to your question is it should 
you should be concerned. I think it's harder in football when you have 85 scholarship players and 30 walk-ons to really you're going to lose fewer games you know, to make an example of somebody as well. Yeah, it, you're you're going to it's hard to it's hard to make sure all 115 make good decisions and do things and that. But you can have programs where you have nutrition and you have uh, mental uh, coaches and, and and financial stuff, and you can do things to give the kids the opportunity, and then then they have to learn from you. But if you're not making that opportunity and you're just using kids, I don't think that's really good coaching in academic settings. Um, any high school coach who doesn't do that I think should be fired. Um, immediately, if they're not concerned about helping their young men or women be the best. So when they graduate, they get a job or they go to college and do those things. I think high school athletics provides a great learning. And I used to think that college athletics provided that. And I still think there's some of that, even in this gross amount of money, there's still some learning of being on time and, 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 and teammates. And so it's not all gone. But this facade that we are academic institutions worried about the student athlete is just bull. Uh, we don't care about traveling out to Oregon on a Wednesday uh, for a conference game, not just a, a non-conference. Um, you know, uh, grades and 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 that when 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 Jalen Hood Shafino's buying what forty uh, sets of earphones that are four hundred dollars a piece as a college, uh, and you're telling that coach you got to help, uh, you're responsible. No, this is a money-making – college athletics is about a business now. It's not about school. It's not about building men and women. Woodson is trying – this is what I like about Woodson. He's trying to do that even in this high-money volume with that Northwestern thing, with getting on kids and, and holding them accountable uh, for, uh, for as much as he's done. So that's why I, I like that from Indiana University. But sometimes when you do the right things, you end up losing. I mean – and then you you lose money, and and then the question comes with all the Northwestern junk that they allowed in their football program, you know. Um, so that's that there there is that level of incompetence to allow that kind of stuff to go on in the name of building camaraderie. Uh, it, it really angers me as a coach because that word that word is special. Like I've always told you guys, and I've tell, told the audience, one of the best things about joining assembly call is you guys calling me coach. Cause that is special. You know, your dad feels that way, Jared, 100%. like when, when someone calls you coach, man, that is deep because you're not just a coach calling X's and O's you're a leader, right? And one of the things I love is when I see former players and we hug, love you, coach, love you, man, all that kind of stuff, man, you build that but I'm afraid it's gone at the college level. Uh, that's my rant. Um, I think Ryan's right. You need to build life skills. You need to do those things, but it is a business in college. Now those things have been lost. I would love to get back to it, but I don't think we're going to. Well, and this. I think Ryan offered the smartest compromise, which is really maybe the athletic department at university need to take a little bit more of that responsibility. Cause I mean, I have great empathy for coaches and you only have 24 hours in a day with all the money comes a ton of pressure and there's a lot of assistants and families that are, that you're responsible for. And you got a whole lot, you know, and the winning and and the money real, is more a, important now. If you have a star player and you need to make it like Johnny Manziel, and you're going to make an example out of him and suspend him for a game, you may miss out on the national championship game or the college football playoff because of it. How much money did you just cost your school? And not only that, your conference gets money from that as well. So they're not going to put up for, with that. 
you know, they're going to say bury it under the rug, suspend him in the off season, you know, for something. And um, the problem is all the money flowing into college sports doesn't make the individual players more emotionally mature as 18, 19, 20 year olds. If so, anything, it might, it might affect them the other way. I know. But, but I'll say this, we keep saying, you know, now it's all about this. Now it's like this guys. It's been like this for more than 30 years. It's just op- in the open now with the, with NIL True. and with bigger coaches, salaries and all these TV deals. It's been it's about more money. extreme now though. It, it's more extreme. Maybe, Maybe, Jared, but I mean, there have been programs like the top programs for a long time have been all about money. And, and I mean, I saw it at, at USC. I've seen it at USC since I went there in, in, in the nineties, how much money they can make. Uh, I I've seen, you know, places like Notre Dame, like look at the money that runs through that place. That's been going on forever. Um, places like we saw it with Miami, Florida state, all those guys getting caught for having tons of money and all that. The players have been paid. And if you think your school wasn't doing it, you're naive. Players have been being paid for a long time. Now there are different levels to it, but like boosters have been handing out, giving hundred dollar handshakes to players since the, since the sixties, uh, everywhere. And there's, I mean, there's no way for you to stop it. Like there really isn't. I mean, you can't no, and monitor. Social media guys. has changed things. Uh, you know, the of other course. thing is, it, it it doesn't always have to be about suspending a guy either. I mean, X never got suspended for you know the speeding violation that he got, yeah. but he faced a lot of internal consequences that, again, by all accounts, sure. seem to have helped him. And I, you know, I, I just, you know, it sucks because I think that should be an important part of the mission for what we're doing. And I, I just, I do fear you know, losing something special about what connects us to college sports. If that totally goes away and it just becomes about the bottom line of winning and losing, this has never been what it's about. That's obviously the most important thing, but I don't know. It's just, it does feel like we're, I mean, obviously we're in a big transition time and you know, coach, I think you articulated, well, you you know, we kind of have to reset our expectations a little bit. We don't want to, but you do have to be fair to the individuals involved and you can't necessarily hold them to the standards from a bygone era that doesn't exist anymore. So I don't it's know. Just, it's, you know, coaches need to be leaders, but when there's millions of dollars on the line and if you don't win, you're out the door. Um, yeah. you know, do you want to take the time to have, you know, I know. have those other programs in that do stuff that may not impact the win, but will impact the win down, down the road. Um, you know that that's just it's hard for me to speak on it too because I'm I'm a high school teacher and a high school coach and it's totally different there's no money in it I think you know my coaching salary ended up being like 70 cents an hour by the time you watch film and all the weekend practices right I mean uh so so you're in it for a lot different reasons um and, and there you know yeah it, it's it's just tough because coaching should be a complete package developing programs to help people achieve the best that they can achieve on the field and off the field. And and I don't see that uh, at an academic institution or former academic institution uh, called colleges. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, there's no conclusion to make on this, but I just wanted to put it out there, get your guys' thoughts. Phil, thanks for asking the question. And we got that discussion going in the community. So if you have strong thoughts and again, you know, and I think, you know, the Indiana fan base is a little unique in holding on to some of these old ideals. Um, but you won't be surprised by the string of comments that that post got, because uh, I think a lot of us feel the same way and are kind of lamenting, you know, some things that are 
being lost in college sports. Um, all right, we got a few get, more quick questions. Ryan, you need to I bounce. Get out of here. Yeah. Okay. Bye guys. Thanks for being here, man. See you, Ryan. Yep. See you, man. All right, let's just hit these quickly, Coach. From Terrence Harper, I would like to know more about this camp that Kalel is attending and the benefits it may bring to he and his teammates for this upcoming season. So I'm going to read something uh, from our good friend Alex Bozich over at Inside the Hall, who did a post about this. He says, according to Jonathan Gavoni, NBA uh, personnel are permitted to attend the academy. There's a limit of two representatives from each team per session. So it's an opportunity to get seen by scouts. And the academy, the academy will provide, quote, the opportunity to train alongside some of the best past and present NBA players and coaches. The prestigious skills development camp features the nation's top collegiate players, which includes a combine experience, drills, off-court workouts, film sessions, and competition. So I think the benefits are, you know, the prestige of being there. And look, you know, Kalel has Jonathan Gavoni tweeting out videos. You can be sure those were sent to Indiana recruits. So those things are all a benefit. Um, and I think just being part of those prestigious camps, you know, for the individual players, it's good for networking for the programs. It's good to promote because they don't invite everybody. And so it's just, it's just kind of another, um, you know, tool that Indiana can use for recruiting and that Kalel can use for his own, you know, personal development. And if he's out there, you know, making pick and pop shots and hitting pull up jumpers in front of NBA scouts at that size, you know, it doesn't matter what he did at Oregon. They're going to be interested in a guy that big that can do those kinds of things. So I think it just has benefits all, all the way around. Um, and anytime that you're out there, even in drills competing against the best of the best, you know, it's a chance for you to get better and learn from other guys. So a total win-win all around, really. Yeah, it, it's it's great anytime anyone gets invited from your program to go out there. The actual basketball improvement in five days or six days or however he's out there is probably minimal. But as you said, when you compete against other people, you understand where you're at, and that's ultimately going to make you better. Like if you're out there and you're struggling a little bit in the five-on-five play or three-on-three play or this move worked or this didn't move, now you know that's against the best and that's your goal is to do that at the league. You're going to come back and work on those things. The other thing is multiple voices. Uh, we all love our coaches, but sometimes you hear the same voices over and over again. Now you go out to a camp, and if if the coaching staff at IU is saying, you got to do this with your feet, and then that gets reaffirmed by this college coach and this pro player is doing it as well. Now all of a sudden that kid comes back to campus, and, and Kalel's like, yeah, all right, yeah, coach, you, you were right about my footwork on the pick and pop, uh, those things. And there might be new things that are brought to his attention that he can come back and say, hey, coach, you know, I, I learned this here, I learned that. But the actual improvement isn't going to happen in four or five days. It's going to be what the young man takes from that experience to come back and put into his individual workouts and his team play under the guidance of of Indiana. But those are so good for him personally for all the things you mentioned and Indiana benefits. That's one of our guys that came to play for Indiana is getting invited to the USA or the pro workout or whatever that was called. Uh, Those are are good things. Um, It's nothing but a positive uh, coming out of it unless – they they go it for they go there just for the prestige and the social media clips and they don't come back seriously um, from that right uh, but that rarely happens I you I, got I so many talented hardworking guys there it's going to raise you know it's going to raise your game yeah. but you make a good point about just hearing different voices sometimes the way one coach just says something or frames something helps it click even though it's like the same basic thing. There's just like a little twist on the way that it's explained or the way that the drill is taught. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. You know, and so that could yeah. be helpful. So 
Yeah, yeah I know good. why Coach Yaw was saying that now. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. I, I thought Coach Yaw was a little crazy, but now this guy out here from Portland, <laughs> you know, he says he said it in a little different way, but now I get it. Yes, um, that kind of thing happens happens an awful awful lot. That's what we would do that, Jared. Too sometimes I'd have my assistants coach a practice. Yeah, uh, and I would I would sit upstairs and watch from a top just so they get another voice or during a halftime. You know, there's choices. When I was the assistant, the head coach said, you got them this halftime. They've been tired of hearing me. You got to go in different voices. And this is a talented camp. This isn't just something to go to. You've been invited. It's an honor to go there. You better go and listen. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that, that's, I was happy. That's why I was happy to see the clips that he was there. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to know he can do those skills, but again, you know, me and videos, um, I mean, I'm with you on videos, game videos, right? Kalowere videos are different. <laughs> They're just different, you know. So we got to see it in the games. There's no question. We just got to make it. sure he's not a workout warrior. No, like totally. Those workout warriors are killer coach killers, right? Yes. Man, they look good in summer workouts. They're doing everything. They're yeah. hitting eighty percent of their threes, and then all of a sudden you put them in a, a live game, and it just goes away. I know. Like we have those in high school. Man, this kid's going to be really good. And then you get in competition, and it's like he just wets his pants and the shot that went in just goes off the popcorn maker in the corner you know it's just yep. gotta be careful about those workout warriors that's again why you can doctor a film um but i think this one did show a lot of things that are different you're absolutely right the skill level of that young man being able to shoot i think that's something indiana fans are going to just really appreciate about where is the fact that you see a seven footer shooting from 15 feet and it looks like a, a guard shooting somewhat it's by so the fluid form. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, so the results have to be done during game time, but that skill set, uh, if all the other things can be worked out, this, this is going to be a fun kid yeah, to watch. Like it's okay to get excited about him this offseason. I know Oregon yeah. didn't go yeah. as we wanted, but he did play well early in the season before stuff went south, which I think is another part of the reason for the optimism. And everyone deserves anyway. second chances, right? I mean, absolutely. Sometimes your first attempt at anything isn't very good. If you want to see failure, go back and see the first time I was ever on this podcast. It was awful, you know. Uh, we should go I mean, back and find the first episode you were on. <laughs> I, I remember that first one I hosted. I was I talk about wetting your pants, man. You gave me the ultimate responsibility. I I was so nervous. I moved everything upstairs, got the banner behind, checked the internet, and I think um, I forget Galen was on. Uh, none of oh, you wow. guys were on to help me either. <laughs> really, was, um, oh, chronic. And Galen, so I had the whole chronic thing that I had so to had- make sure was done correctly, <laughs> right? Wow, that's a lot of that's a lot of trust we put in you. See, you earned you earned trust know, quickly. But I peed my <laughs> pants, man. That you know. But what I'm saying is, in all seriousness, yes. your your first time sometimes doesn't go well, and you can learn from failure. Well, his first run at college basketball wasn't good. And maybe that failure is driving him. We we have no idea what that drive mm-hmm. is. Like, I want to prove Oregon wrong. I want to prove that I'm really better. And I was not good. And, and here's my – I'm responsible for that. And I'm yep. going to change. So that's our hope. Um, and, and the skill set, if that happens, look out. Jeez, the skill set. I mean, I don't – he's one of the ten biggest X factors. In, well, he's certainly one of the two or three biggest X factors in the Big Ten. And he's probably one of the ten to fifteen biggest X factors in the country. Because if he yeah. comes close to his potential, again, we'll and, have to see and, it. And Jared, while you said that, it kind of goes back to our, our national versus all, all those things too is 
The nice thing about Indiana is pieces and questions. Like the talent is there to answer all the questions yes. anyone might have, and that has it's not always a lot been the different. Case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a lot different than having a program where the talent isn't there and the pieces aren't there, and you're wondering how you're going to squeeze some victories out of it, right? Or you have one piece, yes, and then you know the other pieces are ill-fitted, uh, and you know they're ill-fitted, and now you got to try to really work uh, a season to get some wins, like. The talent is there to answer the questions correctly and have uh, a lot of success. It's, 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 um, the textbook is open. It's an open, you know, you you have the answers there somewhere. You think back to some of the rougher seasons we've had doing the show, a lot of it was ill-fitting rosters that also were bereft of talent. You know, so that's my point is, okay, I know that there's some questions, but man, the talent is there. And you got that, you have the ability to answer questions. So anyway, two more quick ones from Kevin. I would like to know what the IU coaches have players work on in regards to fundamentals, i.e. shooting, not just putting up shots, also mechanically and on their confidence. We've kind of covered some of this. Do you want to give a little bit of insight into what you think is is being done in the offseason? Was it, is this just, I I went over this question earlier and getting ready. Is it just about shooting or just in general things that are doing? Yeah, it's, I mean... I was a little unclear, but then I he really the, specifies the shooting. shooting I thought so. was the example. Yeah, I didn't know if that's be. what he wanted to talk about. But um, volumes of shots matter, right? Yes. So you're going to do a variety of things. We talked about that in one of my coaches' corner. I had a, a trainer on for for 30 minutes. He talked about some of the things. Brent was on the show. We talked about some of that. Those things available. Go back and listen to those. We talk a lot about. But volumes of shots are important. But not just your hands, your feet. So I, I'll answer that. Your feet, but. Good programs do the simplest things that we all did in junior high and high school. Two ball dribbling, ball handling, passing drills. You can never, um, you you look at Steph Curry, what he does pregame. It's stuff that junior high kids and junior high coaches are teaching. You can never do enough of those fundamentals of dribbling, throwing the ball against the wall, catching. uh, Good programs overemphasize the fundamentals. And and some of the guys want to go out right away to the yeah, three point line and shoot, but you know, just pat, just catching and triple threat. Those things are so fundamental and so old school. But new muscle modern memory, though, basketball, you're building muscle memory, thousand percent. Modern basketball needs people to dribble, pass, and catch. Um, and, and then you know, obviously, stance your offensive stance, playing with your knees bent on offense, playing in a good stance on defense. You can do those things with a basketball, without a basketball. You know, do wall stands to get people to play low. Uh, you can simulate blockout. Blockout drills have gone away because of the contact and the fear of injury, the physical, you know, bull in the ring where you put the ball in the middle and four people and you dive for the ball and then you cut your head open and all that kind of stuff. So, but that physicalness is kind of left basketball, but you do work on footwork, handle, uh, those things that you've done in basketball camp for years should be done in high level college basketball programs, not just go out and dunk the basketball. So that's what they're, they're, they're developing in those individual workouts, in those team workouts, some, some level of that. I used to love those old rebounding drills. I remember when coach Wood, whenever he'd get pissed at us, we would do rebounding Mm -hmm. drills and he'd get in and do them. And he would just go over the back and push and foul. Never call it. Of course. And then he'd get the rebound somehow. You coaches, when you get in there, it's no holds barred, man. <laughs> no, it's horrible. It's horrible. Because not only do you do it right, like zone passing inside the zone, like get the ball to the high post. It's not that hard. Look away a little bit and throw, anticipate the cut, anticipate the hands. And then I do it, and then I would talk trash. 
Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm 42 years old, and I can get the damn ball to the high post. Like, get it done. It's yeah. not that hard. <laughs> and they'd get mad. And then, then when the ball would get deflected, then I'd cuss at the guy who was def- – def- you know, come on. Now this is 50% speed. I always yeah. have an excuse why the why the pass didn't get in, right? Yeah, now you're mad at the guy for going full speed. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, well, I made it nine times and I had two bad passes. That's a pretty good percentage. But you you make nine turnovers to two good passes. You know, it's always some excuse when you're the coach. Coaches uh, are crazy, man. <laughs> coaches are crazy. All right, last question from John. What is the role of Anthony Leal on this team, especially during Big Ten play? And we talked through this a little bit in our conversation about minutes. And it's a little bit difficult to peg, and some of it may be determined by injury. You know, if if Ja'Kai Newton isn't ready to play and anybody else from the guard rotation, you know, has some kind of injury and we haven't picked somebody else up, there's going to be some minutes there for someone who can handle the ball, move the ball, make an open shot. Um, but it's a little bit difficult to project just as you look at the roster right now what that role might be simply because we haven't really seen the role evolve over the last couple of years. And now on a more talented roster, it does become harder to see, okay, where does that fit happen? So I don't know. I feel like the role is probably very similar to what it was last year, unless something happens that we don't want to happen. And so I think his main role is leader, you know, protector of culture, um, you know, helping the young guys, being a guy who's just been around for three years and knows what's expected. And maybe he's another voice who can help reinforce what the coaches do. Uh, you know what the coaches say, because he's been around and seen it. So it's not to say his role isn't important. I think with a lot of new pieces, he's a piece of glue that helps hold this thing together. So I think he does have a very important role, even if it's not one that's going to show up in the stat sheet. That's that's how I would describe it. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, one of his best aspects is his vicious trash talking. Yes. Because that can motivate <laughs> during practice. You know, come on, dude, I don't even play and I'm scoring on you, you know, um, like if I start taking your minutes, you're really doing bad. I mean, I can see him being maybe that kind of guy. Um, I, the, the role on the court, if it happens is because of his shooting and his passing, like when he played as a freshman, I thought he was a really good post feeder. And I thought that obviously he was known for shooting the basketball. We haven't necessarily seen that in volume or see, seen that in long stretches, um, but I agree yeah. with you where the roster's at. If he didn't get a lot of run last year, um, probably not going to get a lot of run this year unless things have, have really changed. Sometimes your fourth year or your fifth year guys do evolve. They put in their time, they've sat the bench, and you do find a role uh, on the court. But he is such a valuable piece uh, to Indiana basketball for so many other things that uh, he, he will be a Hoosier that we remember for, for a long time, regardless of his statistics. Um, so I don't see it happening just from what we have seen in the past. Uh, much, uh, I mean, happening on the court for him. Uh, but if he does, it's because we have a need for shooting and passing and that intelligence level of being around for four years and knowing knowing where to be and what to do if if some of the younger guys don't pick that stuff up uh, as, as they need to. I'm glad he's here. I'm I'm glad he didn't transfer. I think I do think he has a valuable role on a team with a lot of young guys and new pieces. You need some stability. Even if the stability isn't giving you a lot of minutes, you know, we don't see all the stuff that happens in the locker room and on the airplanes and all that stuff. But just seeing someone's habits who's been around for four years and just kind of what the expectation is and what's going to be allowed. I still think he probably has probably a voice that matters in the locker room. 
you know, and, and, you know, so that, that is important. Um, and so I, th- I think he does have an important role to play um, on a roster that, you know, needs as much continuity as it can get. Uh, that's it. Any final thoughts from you, Coach, as we somehow squeeze another two-hour episode out of a slow off-season I know. Week. It's an off-season <laughs> dead time. And I, if I'm looking right, we got, what, 135 people <laughs> live do. watching on a Thursday night? I love and, this fan base. And, and, <laughs> this, is, this is awesome. No, I, I'm excited as the scheduling stuff's starting to come out. It gets closer. We have college football to, to look forward to, uh, to pass some time. But, uh, you know, our, our number one thing is obviously basketball. It, it's getting closer. School will start up. The players will start coming back. And um, we'll, we'll see little pieces of information come out and videos come out. And then, uh, you know, the, the Fan Fest was announced, I think, or some Fan Fest came out and hit my mailbox or something. Yep. I think that was um, – so you're going to have opportunities uh, to go see the, the new rendition of the team. I urge everyone to go take advantage if you have time to do that. And uh, the nice thing, as we talk today, is regardless of what off-season grades people gave Indiana or how you feel or how I feel, um, Indiana basketball is relevant again under Mike Woodson. And, and you know, we like what he does. Sometimes I want some different offense, and I, I just try to be an honest evaluator of that. But we're in a much better spot than we were three years ago, and, and and the fact that in a what should be a rebuilding year, we're still relevant and being talked about in the off season as a tournament team and a team that might be able to get in the top four of the Big Ten speaks volumes to what Coach Woodson and staff um, have have done. And so I, I, I'm I'm just I, I'm very very pleased that uh, we're not going to have another year or two of downturn, and, and maybe we. We do. You can't guarantee it, but I, I think the off season has been solid, uh, given what we lost, and that is 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 good to see going forward. And obviously, this next recruiting class, as you talked to McNeely and Queen, though that's the next domino to fall to really make us feel good, knowing what's coming down the line to keep us relevant. But it's been a good off season, and it just can't get here you know, quick enough um, to see how those pieces are going to be put together by this coaching staff. Yep. Uh, Thanks again to Jeff Goodman and Rob Doster for letting us use those clips. I do tend to think that the field of 68 shows do a good job. um, And even their national shows, you know, guys like Rob are as prepared as you're going to get, you know, they may miss a detail here or there, but I think those are, those tend to be good shows to listen to. Um, So we appreciate those guys and, and recommend them here as you're going you know, if you're in the off season, just looking for some good survey content, you know, to kind of survey the landscape of college basketball, uh, I think those guys do a good job. And of course, Tate and uh, and Titus doing their shows as well. So there's some good there's some good shows out there to listen to, um, and we recommend those guys to you. But with all that said, that'll do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. We thank Bob Thompson for producing our music. Thank you to John Ringer of Rig Design for designing our logos. And thank you for being here to listen. We'll be back to talk IU hoops with you next week. It's going to be a fun episode. Until then. Oh, I hit the wrong button. Take it from me. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. <laughs>
Uh, oh, that's because I had his in the wrong spot. That's why. Oh, maybe I don't have one for him. Never mind. All right. Well, that was a disaster. Um, all good. By the way, next week, uh, <laughs> it's late. Surely no one's still listening to this this, this late. Um, next week, Chris Williams, IU Artifacts, will be here. We're doing a trivia episode. So I think it's going to be because Andy's out, Ryan's out. So I think it's going to be you and me. I think we should pick an audience member to come join us. So we'll pick a community member. We'll figure it out. Someone in the community is going to come on and hang out with us and answer trivia questions, probably beat us and embarrass us in front of our own audience. But we'll, Uh, we'll bring them on. Hey, I'm no good at trivia. And then I'm, as I'm getting older now, uh, (laughs) the memory, memory starting to, (laughs) but that'll be a fun one. So, all right. Well, yep. We'll, um, we'll be there. All right, coach. Have a good weekend. Thanks, everybody, for being here. You too. And uh, talk to you all soon. Good night, everyone. Bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.